Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice. This week's guest is Debbie Antonelli. Debbie is an Emmy Award-winning college basketball analyst who works for ESPN, CBS, Fox, and Westwood One. She also does WNBA games for ESPN and NBA TV. She has also done a ton of service-oriented projects through her career and played for the legendary KL at North Carolina State. I hope you enjoy the next few minutes with Debbie Antonelli. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice, and with me this week is Debbie Antonelli. Debbie has a great story to share, and we're looking forward to hearing from Debbie today. Debbie, welcome to the podcast, and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, I'm so pleased to be um, one of the people that you've selected for this, so uh, I, I hope I can be a humble servant inside your podcast. Oh, I, I, there's one thing I know you'll definitely do that. So thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy day. And uh, you have so many things, uh, you wear a lot of hats and we're looking forward to hearing about that. So tell us a little bit about who you are, Debbie. Well, I'm a mother of three. I live in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which is a suburb of Charleston. We've been here about 20 years. Um, Three boys, um, three tuitions, which tells you the age of my guys. They're all college age. my oldest son uh, graduated from the University of South Carolina, but he'll be uh, getting his master's coming up um, in sports administration. My middle son, uh, my oldest son's Joey. My middle son, Frankie, is a senior in the Clemson Life program, and I'm happy to expand upon that. Um, but uh, he is uh, he's a, a, um, a young man with Down syndrome who's going to college and living a full experience in a college setting. And then my youngest is a Division two point guard at Emory and Henry, and he's a sophomore, and uh, he's a pretty good little player. So uh, my husband works in the golf business and uh, the sports entertainment business, and uh, we have a wonderful family, and we have loved raising our children in this part of the country. Yeah, so uh, we'll jump a little bit uh, here in a second to how you got your start in sports, which I'm really interested to hear about, uh, especially with your career as a player and everything. Uh, you know, this might be an interesting question to ask. What's your current position? Yeah, well, um, I, I list when you ask me to tell something about myself, I always leave with family. But uh, my job is I'm a full time employee of ESPN. I work for ESPN on their men's and women's college basketball uh, as an analyst on television. And uh, I've been in the business for and on the air for over 33 years. So I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I also work for CBS on the men's tournament, first and second round of the NCAA men's tournament. And uh, uh, I'm uh, very fortunate to have been in and around the game for more than five decades. And uh, I love the sport. I have incredible passion for the game. And I absolutely love all the prep, the study, being in the gym, the squeak, the smell, the sound, all of it. And uh, basketball has been my passion, but uh, sports is really something that our whole family has embraced. Wow. Well, that and, you, you know, you brought up the, all, all those great words, those, those, those words that describe what basketball is to so many people. And uh, I, I had the for, good fortune to go uh, visit the Hoosier gym in Knightstown, Indiana. I don't know if you've ever been, but I remember walking in there and also going into uh, 
um, Cameron Indoor Stadium once and just the smell. There's just something about it smelled historic and uh, it, it almost had the smell of a library in some, way, in some ways. It, it, you could smell the wood, you could smell everything. And, and there's just something about the sport that uh, not a lot of people completely understand unless they've really been in it. And so you, you got your, you're from originally from Cary, North Carolina, correct? I grew up in upstate New York, um, but I went to high school and college in North Carolina. And, and so, yes, I claim Cary as my, my hometown. Okay. Whereabouts in new, uh, upstate New York did you grow up? So um, I'm the oldest of three girls. My parents worked for IBM. They were IBMers in the Poughkeepsie area. And so High Park, New York and upstate New York is where we grew up. And um, it, it was uh, uh, where I first learned sp about sport and learned to uh, love playing. Um, the first team that I was on was a little league boys baseball team because they didn't offer anything for the girls in our area. And uh, I, I love playing little league baseball. Uh, and then uh, I found a CYO team that I got to play basketball. So I was nine and 10 years old when that was happening. And, you know, this is in the mid seventies. So, you know, title nine had just come about. And uh, of course I was too young to understand any of that. I just wanted to play. And fortunately my parents were supportive and found a way and a place uh, for me to be able to play. Wow. Well, and, you know, you bring up, uh, you know, the early seventies and obviously 1972 with title nine and, and we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure in a little bit about, uh, Pat summit and her influence on your life as well as coach Yao. But, um, you know, when you think about how that impacted your life and the life lives of so many other women, I mean, what was it like to be a, a young athlete when title nine really came out? You know, I, like I said, Tim, I was too young to recognize that there were actually not opportunities for me to play. I only saw opportunities to play. And maybe that was because my parents shielded it from me. But, you know, I, I do remember having experiences as a little girl and one of the only girls playing with the boys, um, having um, parents yelling, get that girl off the field or she doesn't belong. Or even standing in the batter's box, I had some pitchers throw at me. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't understand that as a little girl, if you're nine or 10, why would you ever understand somebody wouldn't want you to play or, or, you know, I'd only, I'd always played, I was played um, sport my whole life, even if it was just in the driveway or in the backyard. But, um, you know, I, those, those experiences resonated with me. And I just remember my parents being protective, but yet supportive and exuding confidence, you know, like you're allowed to play. It's okay. Go out there and do your best. Don't listen to what people are saying. And, you know, that's still advice that you still need to give little girls today, you know, go out there and play and have fun, you know, get involved, be active. We know what sport can do for a healthy lifestyle. We also know what being on a team can mean for your future, because you're always going to be on a team. I don't remember never being on a team. I, I mean, right now inside our house, we call it Team Antonelli. I'm the head coach and I've got a husband and three boys and, you know, that's our team. And we operate in that sort of fashion. Um, and, and all the things that I've learned in my many decades across the college basketball landscape and the WNBA, I've been around some of the best leaders and teachers and communicators in sport. And so I've tried to take some of the things that I've learned from some of those iconic names in our game and, and shared it in, in my own communication style, my own, um, if you will, leadership style inside Team Antonelli. Yeah, well, and you, 
uh, not to jump ahead, I suppose, but I'll, uh, you know, bring up uh, one of the questions I always ask is who's held the ladder for you, but I'm kind of going to hold off on that for just a second and take it back to your, you know, getting your opportunity to play at North Carolina State for legendary KEL. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, when we moved to North Carolina, um, that would have been in uh, the, that would have been the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, I, my parents took me to NC state to a basketball game. And when I walked into Reynolds Coliseum, two things happened. Number one, I didn't know that women played basketball in college. And number two, I didn't know you could get a scholarship to do it. So I sat on the railing at Reynolds watching this woman named Kay Yao and this team that was number one or number two, one of the top teams in the country. And I, I watched them, their skill set, how hard they competed, how much fun it was to, there's a band and cheerleaders. And there was just an incredible atmosphere, which I had never experienced before. And it was right about that time. And I was, I guess I was like 14, 13 or 14 that I decided that that is what I wanted to do. And that is where I wanted to play. And I had no other knowledge about anything else except for watching this woman KL on the sideline with her team and watching how good these players were and aspiring to be as good so that maybe one day she would pick me. And fortunately she did. And I had a 30 plus year relationship with my coach KL, who's a Naismith Hall of Famer and Olympic gold medal winning coach in 1988. Um, and, and she, uh, you know, I had a relationship with her from middle school to being a camper, to being recruited, to playing for. And then of course my broadcasting career post playing for her, she had an influence on the way I see the game and, and how I learned the game. And uh, you know, I'm so fortunate to have had that relationship with her, which, which spilled over into the KL Cancer Fund, which I am on a, um, a group of um, board members. We call ourselves the lifers because Coach Al personally selected the four of us, really five, uh, once she passed, we had somebody replace her, um, that we forever stay on the board to share her vision of what she wanted to do in the battle versus cancer because she battled so publicly herself for 28 years with, with her fight with cancer before we lost her in January of 2009. So I'm... Uh, I, I'm very fortunate and, and humbly can say that uh, I loved my coach and uh, had an incredible experience with her. She had a, an impact on every facet of my life, uh, including being a mom and a wife. Yeah. Well, and um, one thing I was going to bring up and it's pertaining to, well, like really it's the next question. I mean, when you think about, of course you have Co Coach Yao, they held the ladder for you but, and your parents, but who else has held the ladder for you during your uh, climb to great success? You know, there's, uh, when I think about holding the ladder, I think about how grateful I am for so many people that gave me an opportunity, paved the way, or gave me a chance. You know, the first couple of people that hired me uh, was, you know, Gene DiFilippo was the first person with CM Newton that hired me at the University of Kentucky when I got my start as the director of marketing there. Then there was a gentleman named Jim Jones, the athletic director at Ohio State, and I directly reported to Archie Griffin, the two-time Heisman Trophy winner. I, those would be a couple of guys that held the ladder for me and supported me on my way into the profession. Um, and then uh, from a broadcasting standpoint, where there's an endless list of producers and executive producers and partners that I've had on the air and broadcast teams, uh, people behind the scenes, 
uh, that, you know, you, when you see somebody on TV, when I was younger, I always thought that they were rich and famous. And I could tell you that's not true, but you, you are a part of a team and, and uh, you know, there's so many people that have held the ladder in that regard. It's almost, it's so tough to mention all of them by name because we don't have enough time to do that. But um, I am humbly uh, thankful for everyone that hired me from executive producers across ESPN and CBS and all the people that advocated for me to have a chance, especially those that advocated for me to call games on the men's side. You know, that, that I've been calling games on the men's side since the mid nineties. And um, when I was calling games in the mid nineties, there were only a couple of us doing it in, uh, that were women. And one of them is my, my friend and colleague, Dor Doris Burke, who now works in the NBA. But Doris and I came in about the same time. Um, I think I've been on the air a little bit longer than her, but. She, um, you know, she would be somebody that was, we were right about the time when uh, there were no women calling men's games and we started calling them back then. So, um, you know, those, that, that's uh, somebody that would take a chance on sticking you in that position, knowing that, you know, yeah, you know the game and yes, you, you're going to succeed. But each time I would tell everyone, thank you. And that I would not, I promise I will not let you down because you do have to take, you do have to understand that the leadership in those positions that take a chance on a young woman and stick her in a men's college basketball game that she better know what she's doing. Um, yeah, that, and, and that's sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people to be thankful for, for that opportunity. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, you've, you've had so many influences well, as well, you know, like Pat Summit's a great example of one of the influences you've had through your, your time and doing what you've done. Um, and would you say that she held the ladder for you in many ways? Oh gosh, Tim. I mean, you know, Pat, uh, I have so many wonderful stories about my relationship with Pat Summit. You know, the first couple of times you meet her, she makes you better because you better be buttoned up, your shoes tied and dusted off, and you better sit up straight and you better come with some really good questions because you want to show that you do know what you're doing and that you are invested and you better be paying attention at shoot around when she's talking, not on your phone or messing around with some paperwork. You know, like I, I look at my job as you know, one that, um, you know, we're supposed to be the bridge between what the players um, are working on and what they know and then teaching that on the air as to how and why things happen. And so, um, you know, but my, my, um, my relationship with Pat uh, evolved into more of a friendship uh, where we did a lot of things together. I've had a lot of fun over the years with her. I have some incredible funny stories about her personality and and, um, and then I have some, some memorable things towards the end that uh, were really devastating to watch how uh, she disappeared from us uh, from the game and how desperately we miss her. Um, but um, she, Kay Yao and Pat Summit, certainly two very strong, important women and role models in my life. And I feel like I have a responsibility to carry forward their legacy because that's where their legacy truly it continues to evolve us through the people that had an influence um, that they influenced and had an impact on. Yeah. And I know that that's, I've said this on the podcast in the past with other interviews that, you know, we do stand on the, the shoulders of giants, you know, the folks that were willing to uh, lift us up and give us an example to follow. I mean, I think that that's uh, such a critical piece to anything you do in the sport industry. I, I don't care if it's broadcasting, coaching, you know, ticket sales, whatever it is, you have to have somebody that you can look to and say, I really want to be like this person. I want, I want this, I want to 
follow the, the lead of this person. I know for me, it's been that way for my entire life. And, um, and it's really neat. Do you ever think to yourself, man, now you're that person. Now you're that person to others. Isn't that crazy? I, that's how I feel about it, at least. I, I, I don't ever... Um... I don't ever think of it like that because, um, you know, it, to use your analogy to climb the ladder, I feel like I'm still climbing, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that there's, uh, you know, if you can bring people along with you, then you need to keep climbing so that you keep gaining and that they can come to a higher level along with you. You know, that rising tide thing. Um, yeah. I really believe in that. And uh, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm just so grateful for the influences that I've had. Sometimes when I sit back and I think, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't ever look at myself as somebody that is, you know, done or accomplished or, you know, there's still more to do. I feel like there's more to do. And so as long as I feel like there's more to do, it challenges me and motivates me to continue moving forward. And yeah, you know, like when I'm working CBS on the men's tournament, and I know that's the Super Bowl in basketball, and there's a lot of eyes and ears listening, is there a little more pressure on me to get it right? And uh, to not make a mistake while, well, you know, those that are out there listening, looking for you to make a mistake because they don't think a girl should be on a boys basketball game or whatever they, you know, I, I look at it like, go ahead and measure me up against uh, your ball screen defense or measure me up against some basketball strategies, some late game situations. But if you don't like my voice or the fact that I'm a female, then there's nothing that I can do to change that. But I do hold that responsibility in very high regard because I'm not going to do this forever and there is going to be somebody else that's going to get a chance. And so if, if I mess it up, that it could set us back for years with another woman being able to come in. Uh, and I, I do think that that is part of our responsibility. And there's other women that have been doing it as long as I have that I think feel the same way. It's not that we feel like we have accomplished or that we've, we've made it. I think we're still all trying to strive to do better, do more, to be better, to, to bring others along with us. Wow. Amen to that. I think that that's, uh, that's a true ladder holder. And I, I think that's awesome. So you, you talked a little bit just now about really the challenges that you faced in climbing the ladder and doing what you do now. And you can even go back all the way to getting thrown at <laughs> by yeah. a pitcher uh, playing little league baseball. Um, what are the biggest challenges you face in your job on a day-to-day -day basis? And I mean, you, you, you wear a lot of hats, you work for a lot of different organizations, kind of tell us a little bit about what your challenge, your biggest challenges are. I think, uh, social media has changed the landscape in our sport so much that you have to decide if, if that's an important part of what you deliver, you know, in, inside of what staying relevant or staying topical, you know, matters, um, uh, I'm constantly about the education of what I do, you know, the film watching, the breaking down games, talking to other experts, listening to vernacular, trying to find a way to frame something a little bit differently, to put it in my own words, to listen to uh, a too deep cover in football and how does that transfer over to, you know, or the battery in baseball up the middle. Why is that important? The middle third, the shoot, the slot you know, whatever the, the highway, the middle of the road, whatever that you want to call it. Um, there's so much terminology out there. Um, and, and, you know, at this point in my career, um, yes, I, I want to work at the highest level. I want to call the best games. Uh, I wouldn't be a competitor or a professional, I think, at this point, if I didn't feel like I should be on 
the very best games or want to be on the very best games. I'm still challenged to provide um, a, sub, a subjective analysis, you know, because that's, that's what we are. We are, it's a subjective business. Some people like what you say, like how you sound, like how you deliver, and there's others that don't. But uh, I, I have resolved myself to, to this. Um, and this is the advice that I give myself, remind myself and pass along to others. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm trying to improve. If I go into a gym thinking that I have to prove that I belong or prove to a coach that I'm knowledgeable, then I'm gonna have the wrong attitude about the delivery of how I present the game, thinking that I gotta be smarter or prove. I'm not trying to do that. I wanna improve. I wanna to listen to that coach in practice. I wanna learn. I wanna see how they're strategizing certain situations. I wanna be prepared to ask a high level, a second level, a third level question that lets them know that I am invested. I'm not here just because I, I want to be respected and I want to be knowledgeable and I want to be fair and I'm going to have fun because I absolutely love what I do. And, you know, there are times um, in my career where I feel like I am being challenged or tested by um, somebody who may not believe I belong, but I, I have resolved myself to believe that if I'm here to improve and get better, even though I have been doing this for 33 years, I still think I can get better. I never feel comfortable or satisfied. I feel uncomfortable learning new vernacular, studying and watching new people so that I can be the very best and transfer that to television and do it in a, in a manner that is educational, that's entertaining and, and that people enjoy listening to. One question I wanted to ask, and it, it's regarding a challenge I, I read about that you took on when you got to Ohio State. And it was with the, that there were no female sports being televised. Right. And that you went out and went to a local station to get yeah. this thing started and went out and secured the sponsors and was, you were the voice or the play-by-play -play person. Is that correct? So that is correct. Um, I had had a opportunity to work some games when I was the director of marketing at the University of Kentucky. And when the Ohio State director of marketing and licensing position opened up, that was a job that I took. And that would have been in, uh, in 1991 and 92. And I took that job. And when I got to Ohio State, uh, here I am 27 years old. I'm the director of marketing in the athletic department. I report to Archie Griffin. Uh, I am the only person on staff at Ohio State at the time. My athletic director, Jim Jones, um, may you rest in peace. He just recently passed. He, uh, his staff was made up of people that either A, went to Ohio State or B, grew up in Ohio. Well, I was neither one of those and I was the youngest on staff. So I'm looking around and, and, and I'm seeing that, you know what, I love this job and I wanna be an athletic director, but I really love calling games on TV. And this was self-serving as much as it was to grow the athletic department. I thought, here's an opportunity. I wonder if the local cable company can produce sports. And if they can, what would it cost? So I went to the local cable company. I set up a meeting. I asked them. They came up with a number. At that time, it was like $50,000 to produce eight women's basketball games. We put eight women's basketball games on television because I went out and I sold all the advertising inventory. 
so that we could put these games on. And then it was like creating my own network. This is like, this is in 92, 93. This is well before TV as we know it today. And, and if you think about the way we, you know, this opportunity, $50,000 to do eight games, I'm not even sure you could do one game for $50,000 anymore. And it, it really was the start of a network for Ohio State. So yes, I, I mean, I've never had it framed to me in ways than more recently that it was like starting my own network, which is exactly what I did. And um, I think it lived on for a long time until, you know, the Big Ten Network and then, the, you know, the, uh, the other things, the sophistication of the way we see and deliver television has changed so much. But yes, I started my own network. I called the games. And so it was um, serving both sides of my passion, right? It was my job as a director of marketing. I created this opportunity for Ohio State. It just so happens that Ohio State, my time at Ohio State co coincided with Naismith Hall of Famer, Katie Smith, one of the all-time greats in the history of our game. And so that was a very palatable sell in Columbus because she was local and I was working for Archie. And if I needed Archie to go with me on a sales call, nobody says no in Columbus, Ohio to Archie Griffin. So, um, you know, I worked every angle I could to sell and, and then I got to do the games. And, and so it was, um, it was self-serving in some ways because I really wanted to stay on the air and it allowed me to stay on the air while still doing my job. But it was entrepreneurial in so many ways too. And that kind of leads to the next question. When you think about skills that you consider to be essential for success as a sports professional, it doesn't matter what segment of sports. I mean, what are some of the skills that you consider to be essential for success? I mean, obviously what you did there was, was very much a, you know, an initiative based, hey, I want to go out and do this. And you, you know, not only did you prove you could do it, you improved as you went along. So what skills do you consider to be essential? I, I think, um because you and I talked about this before, you know, the ability to find a way to say yes is a skill that I think people are, are they might overlook, you know, finding a way inside what would be a hectic, chaotic, busy schedule. Sometimes when I hear people say they're busy, I think, boy, you don't know the definition of busy, you know, or you're busy versus my busy is kind of like defining success, right? Your success versus my success of definition of success could be different. Um, I think, uh, you know, um, vision is really important. You know, being able to have uh, the external vision of seeing, you know, what could be and then figuring out how to make it happen. Uh, the ability to effectively communicate what you see or what you think could evolve. Um, the ability to, um, to have some leadership skill and understand, you know, why it is that you wanna do something. So how and why are always two really important parts of my job as a broadcaster inside a game. But I also think, you know, in the bigger scope of trying to, to have that entrepreneurial spirit is figuring out, you know, what is it? Uh, how could it happen? Can you see it happening? Can you effectively communicate what you want to see? And then how do you go about being organized as a leader to be able to outline what you want to do? And that's sort of, um, some of the ways that I've gone about putting together, not just my basketball career on television, but some of the other things that I'm involved in. And it's because I wanna see a, a wider vision. I have incredible passion to help people. I, I want to um, be a servant leader. 
one of the qualities of a really good leader that my coach Kay Yao thought was number one was being a servant leader. And uh, that's who she was. And so that's somebody that I want to be too. And that I want to ask and it kind of a wanted to ask this question and it's really regarding the the servant leadership things that you're doing whether it's special olympics wherever can you kind of talk a little bit about you know how important that is for the sport professional but also in your own life how important is it for you tell us a little bit about that well thanks for asking tim because the first thing i want to tell you about is my fundraiser for special olympics if i may Please. Um, um, as I mentioned earlier, my middle son, Frankie, is a college senior at Clemson in the Clemson Life Program. Life is an acronym for learning is for everyone. Clemson is a leader in post-secondary educational experiences for students with intellectual disability. My son has Down syndrome and he's a full-time college student. He works a job, he lives independently. He's a manager for women's basketball. He's in a fraternity and he's on an intramural basketball team. If that's not living the full college life, I, I don't know what is. And, and in spite of what his disability might be, we look at it as what his abilities are and what he can do. And he's remarkable. And Special Olympics has been a big part of our journey as a family. My son has competed in multiple sports. He's a multiple gold winner. He's very athletic. He's highly competitive. He's smart, athletic, handsome, fun. He's got lots of friends. He's very social. He just happens to have Down syndrome. It's never been something that we've used to define him. So I love to shoot. I love Special Olympics. So here's what I came up with. In three years, this is the last three years in May. This is what we've done. I call it 24 hours of nothing but net. Uh, on the top of every hour for 24 straight hours, I make 100 free throws. So I start at noon on a Saturday, I make 100 every hour, I make 100 until noon on Sunday. Uh, at the end of 24 hours, I've made 2,400 free throws. We live stream the whole thing, 24 hours. It's incredible, the programming, the guests we get on, the, the people that have supported us, the sponsors that I have that have jumped in. So I'm just gonna give you some numbers. So the first year I was in a gym, we raised $85,000, I shot 94%. When I pitched this idea. I didn't know, A, if anybody would watch me shoot free throws, B, if I could complete the task, or C, if anybody would even donate. And so my pitch was, if you give me a penny for every free throw I make, that's $24 for Special Olympics. I thought everyone could give me, or anyone could give me a penny. So that's what we did the first year. The second year, because of COVID, we were forced out of the gym into my driveway, which ended up be, being just... Um, fate that it would work out so well. Uh, we raised 125,000 and I shot 89%. Now I have a Dr. Dish, one of my sponsors. Dr. Dish is a rebounding machine that passes the ball back to you. When I turned 50, that's what I wanted for my birthday. Most women want diamonds and jewels. I wanted a Dr. Dish. My husband was like, okay, you know, you're crazy, but if that's what you want. Um, and then this year, uh, I shot 94% in my driveway. We raised $200,000. So in three years, what went from um, an idea, a might, you know, I think I can do it. The, the training and the fitness and the conditioning and the, the year round uh, at my age, what it takes for me to complete this task. 
We have in three years raised over $410,000 and I'm averaging 92% from the free throw line and I get AARP mail. So <laughs> I'm, I'm so pleased and I get chills every time I mention that number because that is a combination of so many people across the country. And this is becoming a national event. This is not just a little event in South Carolina. I think a lot of people initially thought that I was having a little bake sale in my driveway. You know, they didn't really quite grasp it, but uh, it has become a national event. I'd love for it to be international one day because my dear friend, Mary Davis, who's the CEO of Special Olympics International happens to live in Ireland and uh, in Dublin and uh, commutes back and forth to Washington. And uh, she has been a guest on my live stream in the past, but that's one of the things that I have um, that I have been able to do that is absolutely rewarding on so many levels. I know how desperately Special Olympics needs the money for training and programming and for competing. And it has a direct impact on the athletes um, and for families like mine. So I know exactly what the money means. And I'm so pleased to have the kind of team that we have behind us to be able to help us do that. Wow, over $400,000, what a great cause. And, and really, it shows how, how you continue to be a great shooter. <laughs> it takes a lot of work at this point. But yes, I'm, I, I, you know, it's like riding a bike for me. I got muscle memory and I have the ability to self-correct. I wish all <laughs> players had that, Tim. I don't know why they don't, but I wish they did. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, on the next question, and this is, uh, this is one of the questions that I, when I ask my guests typically, some of them don't like this word, but, you know, some of them have a different word for it, but the word networking, you know, uh, how important is networking in this field and how do you approach it? And do you think that networking is a bad word? I think networking is absolutely critical and important. I, I think it's the basis of um, and the root of my entire career. Uh, at my level, uh, I don't know anyone else that operates at my level that does not have an agent. I have never had one. And the ability to network has a lot to do with why I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to do. Um, you know, I wanted the relationships to be between me and my employer. I didn't need a third party. Now, I may have missed out on some opportunity or left some money on the table, but I also have three boys. And I don't know many people at my level that do what I do that have three children. So, um, you know, I always looked at my boys being uh, my agents, you know, they ultimately decide what I can and can't do, to be honest. I mean, as a mom with three kids trying to raise three boys, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's busy. There's a lot going on. They have their own schedules. And, you know, we had, that's why the team effort was so important. My husband, hundred percent supportive, but I've got two really good stories about networking uh, that I want to share with you very quickly. And one of them is um, uh, I had worked for Fox South for a long time on the ACC package my boss at Fox had won an award. This is like 20 years into my career. I wrote a note. I said, congratulations on the award. The next time I saw him, he came over to me and he said, hey, Debbie, thank you for writing me that note. You know, nobody writes handwritten notes anymore. And I said, I know. Uh, I said, but, but that's something that I've always done. And as a matter of fact, um, if I may go back for a second, the first year of my fundraiser, 325 people donated. The second year, 650 donated. This year, there's almost a thousand individuals that have donated to this fundraiser for Special Olympics. I will write a personal thank you note to every single person that donated. 
that's how important I think networking is because I do think that it factors in. And some people write me a thank you note for my thank you note saying next year, I'm gonna do more. Well, then it's definitely worth it if one or two people do that out of the thousand people that I write to. But this note to my boss at Fox, he said, you know, no one does that anymore. He said, what else would you like to do in your career that you're not doing? I said, oh man, I, you know, I wanna call more men's games. I, I'd love to call a game in the NBA. He said, you know what? We're interviewing some analysts for the Charlotte Hornets position right now. They're out of the playoffs. We need a new analyst. How would you like to do a couple of games? I said, I'd love to. That's how I got two NBA games, traveling with the Charlotte Hornets on two road trips. The other one was how I got my job at Ohio State. Jim Jones, the AD, I, when I was at Kentucky as the director of marketing, I studied the hierarchy of his athletic administration. I knew at some point he was going to make a change in the way his structure was put together with the, with the climate of college sports marketing and what was happening during that time. And I would send him a note, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, congrats on the bowl game. Uh, I wanna be your next director of marketing. And that's how I ended up getting, I mean, he didn't even, I don't even know if he interviewed anybody else. He called me, he said, you know, I'm ready. I know you're ready. When can you be here? I said, I can be there tomorrow. And one of the reasons why I was targeting Ohio State was because my husband was working for Jack Nicholas at Muirfield Village. So I wanted to be in that area. So um, it, those are two really important networking stories that had to do with writing the personal notes, sticking your name and your face in front of people and, and asking them for an opportunity, but also having a strategic vision about what was realistic and knowing that, you know, he's gonna make a change. And, and when he does, I, I'm gonna be right there waiting for it. So it was a really important networking story for my career. Yeah, I, I've had, that's the second time I've had one person, um, Vicki Denny, who's the head women's volleyball coach at Bob Jones, not too far from you in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And she, she talked about the importance of that. And then I brought it up too. It has helped me. I was a fundraiser for the American Heart Association in Denver uh, for two years, and I actually got business because I wrote handwritten notes to people. They thought, well, this is completely, totally counterculture. And uh, these days, because everybody wants to send an email or, or text message or whatever, but something that is a handwritten note just is so much more personal. I think that's a great piece of advice for those people who are listening out there, especially our Folks are just getting into the business. Listen to what Debbie's saying here. What great advice here. It's going to separate you from other people. Wouldn't you agree with that, Debbie? 100% agree. I mean, you have to, it's so competitive in the landscape out there, no matter what you want to do, where the economy is right now coming off of COVID and things are going to get better, but you need to figure out, you know, what exactly you want to do and what you're willing to do uh, in, in terms of taking the time, not just a text, but the, a handwritten note matters. Wow. Great advice. So uh, one other question here. I mean, what would what's one piece of advice, just one general piece of advice that you'd give to someone just getting started with a career in sports? Of course, you've provided a lot of great advice pieces today, but what's one piece that you would provide to that one person getting in? I think, you know, Tim, we've covered a lot about networking and trying not to prove, but trying to improve and, and creating a niche for yourself. I mean, um, you know, you can't let money be the only determining factor getting into sport as to what you're going to do. No job can be too big or too small is one of the best cliches that I, that I think of. Um, 
you know, that you, you have to be ready to roll your sleeves up and get in and work. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that you need to think outside the box. You know, that's not in my job description. I'm not willing to do that. I think that would be the wrong attitude. I think if you really want to move up, you have to have incredible people skills. You have to have a work ethic. You have to create a niche for yourself where you separate yourself from others and, you know, doing things like working harder and taking on any task or even writing a handwritten note, those little things add up. And you just have to believe that over time, if you keep making the right choice and then make it be the right choice. So you choose, don't look back, move forward, try to keep advancing your career with making the right choices. And I think that's, you know, as, as the best advice I can give, you know, depending on what field you're going into, but you got to dig in and you got to ask questions and don't assume, be intentional about your time and, and don't assume anything, ask, because that's, a, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. I couldn't agree more. I think that there, uh, there are a lot of folks in, that have climbed the ladder to great success uh, and, and so many times you, you brought it up, I believe earlier about, you know, so many people look at the finished product and they think, well, you just, you just landed there, you know, some helicopter just dropped you there, but no, you had to climb to get to that place. You had to grind it out. You had to work really hard. You had to make, you know, develop relationships and, and really develop skills. Um, but, you know, I think that that is such a, you know, we, we have to be willing in this business to take risks. And I think that that is, I know for me, when I first got into my coaching career and, you know, I mentioned that I worked with Eric Johnson at University of Denver, I did that for free, you know, at uh, almost 40 years old. And there are a lot of times that people in this industry, sometimes they don't want to sacrifice like that. And I completely understand you have to make a living. I get it. Um, but I, I also think that taking risks lead to great rewards. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something that, maybe sometimes people that are just getting into the industry don't completely understand because uh, um, it takes time. You know, uh, it, it's not something that you just land on top of the mountain immediately, at least most people know. So, yeah. um, well, uh, one thing, and I, and, and I know you're a very humble person, but I kind of want to bring up a, a little bit of just some of the things we talked about even before we came, went on the air today. Um, uh, First one, and we didn't necessarily talk about this, but you know, winning the the Women's Basketball Coaches Association Mel Greenberg Media Award in two thousand seven. What was that like? <laughs> well, Mel Greenberg is an iconic name in our game. He started the AP poll way back uh, in the seventies when nobody was really paying attention to women's basketball. So that's um, you know that's a great service award to the game, um, and because I'm invested, and I think all the coaches know that I'm invested. So that was very um, humbling and honored to be on a list of names that have received that award. Yeah. And then, and then the two Emmy awards. Uh, I, I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit about both of those real quickly, especially the story of Mount St. Joseph's Lauren Hill. Yeah, I'm a, a, a part of a team, a broadcast team that covered the Lauren Hill story. And if, if very briefly, if you don't know the story of Lauren Hill, it's worth uh, Googling and, and looking up because this is a young woman who loved college basketball, was an incoming freshman, had an inoperable brain tumor. She was going to die. She petitioned the NCAA to move the season up so she could play because she wasn't sure she was gonna make it to 
November of that year of 2014. And it's, a, it's an incredible story of love. It's a very sad story, but it's also an inspiring story because she was able to play in that game. Um, it, she had lost the use of uh, the right side of her body right before the game. Uh, it, it was an incredibly um, emotional, taxing two-hour broadcast on Fox. And um, that's how uh, I received one of the Emmys was being uh, on the air uh, calling that game, which was by far the most challenging thing that I think I've ever done in my broadcasting career, knowing that this 18-year-old beautiful young woman who loved the game so much that just wanted to play a college basketball game before she died and try to lift others up and make her battle so public. Uh, and she did, um, she did make it through the season, thankfully, uh, and she did pass in the spring of 15. But uh, we, uh, our broadcast team won an Emmy there. And that was, uh, you know, something I see every day in my house. And I think about Lauren, because it was such a a true love of the game and playing the game for the right reasons, because you really love it, not for any other reason and not for anybody else, just because it was about her. And, and it wasn't selfishly about her, but it was about her passion and love for the game. And the NCAA did the right thing. They let, they moved the game up and they let her play. So that is one thing. And, and uh, um, that, that you can think about the NCAA doing the right thing there. Um, the other Emmy was uh, part of the CBS broadcast team in 2019. We, as a as CBS, uh, won a, um, an Emmy for our broadcast work in the men's tournament. So I was a part of that team that won an Emmy as well. Wow. You know, that I, I think it's got to be, I'm sure you probably many times pinch yourself and say, man, I'm calling a Final Four or, you know, I'm, I'm calling uh, WMB games or, or whatever. Do you ever just think to yourself, man, how this is just an incredible dream and it's an incredible opportunity. Do you ever just pinch yourself and go, wow, what, how did I get here? I think every day I, I do um, because I love it so much. They pay me for it. It is exciting. Uh, you know, we've got a new hybrid model where some of the work we do now is from home with the, uh, all the equipment that we have. This year, I probably did 80 college and WNBA games from home uh, and with, with uh, our COVID shortened season in the W and uh, in college. Um, so uh, it's amazing to think that I can take the incredible passion I have for the game of basketball and I've turned it into this 30 plus year career on the air I never would have believed that was an option for me when I was a little girl. Uh, and I didn't, I wanted to be an athletic director. Uh, that was where I started out. And fortunately my path, I could run the parallel path of being an AD and a broadcaster for eight years before I had to make a decision about what I wanted to do. And I'm so thankful that uh, I made a decision and then I worked to make it the right decision. Wow. You know, and I, I think that that's really, I've always felt, and I, I can, when I think back even to the, when I was a, a little kid, when I first got my, when I first got into sports, 1978, I remember getting a baseball mitt from the local TGNY, which doesn't even exist anymore. I, I'm sure that they, they, you probably had TGNYs in, in uh, your area. I know we did in the South and Alabama. And I remember getting that mitt and just being so excited about playing baseball. And, you know, to have been involved in sport since 1978, in some way, shape, or form, it's been a love of mine. 
And I always find it interesting that, you know, when I look around and I think about what I do, you know, I'm really shocked by it and, and humbled and blessed. I think that that's the thing, you know, God didn't have to choose me to, to have that opportunity. And uh, so I'm really thankful, just like you are. Yeah, I have the very first basketball rim when I was a little girl that my dad had put up on a garage with a plywood backboard. And that rim has been with me my entire life. I still have that rim and I have my very first glove when I played little league baseball. I have both of those items uh, and I'm so grateful to have them because um, it's just nobody, you know, there's no fame or fortune around here. My guys don't pay attention to what I'm doing or, you know, all that, but it means something to me that my mom and dad held on to those things for me so that I could have them. And I just think it's pretty cool that I still have my first glove and my first rim. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really neat. Um, last question. And you've kind of answered this already through all the things that you do and your service-minded approach, but how do you hold lad the ladder for others? I try to share uh, all the things we talked about today with as many people as I can to be as uplifting and positive so that I can encourage them. Uh, I, I sum it up with three power words that I use, Tim, to sort of make my decisions or um, to, to try to help uh, others in any decision that I make, whether it's in my career or a decision about our family or as a mom with my boys, I think about these three words, build, serve, and empower. If I'm building and being constructive and, and making good choices and having a good attitude, then I'll probably have a servant's heart that I can serve and, and do for others. And if I can build and serve, then I can empower others to do the same thing, challenge them to find their own three words or use my three words to help them make their decisions. But that's how I go about trying to bring it back full circle to one of the first things we said was you and I talking about our attitude of yes, you know, trying to figure out how to say yes and how to make it work. And so even when things don't go my way, because it doesn't always go my way, I think about build, serve, and empower. And is this something I should be spending time worrying about? Or is there something here that I can fix? Or do I need to move on? Or if something bad happens, you know, I think about who I've helped build and serve and who I've empowered. And those things always pull me back up. And so while I'm trying to pull others back up the ladder, I'm still trying to hang on and, and, and keep moving up the ladder myself. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. And, you know, I do think that the true ladder holder is someone who really has no real interest in necessarily what they get in return. It's trying to help that person that you're trying to help get to, you know, the place that they're trying to get to. And, and I know that that um, sometimes people will say, well, you know, yeah, I'm doing that. But a lot of times they may want something in return. Um, I know in my situation, uh, I've tried and my wife Candy has tried. We've been very focused on just being in a mindset of service, serving others to help them get to a place where they uh, can see greatness in their own lives. And then they can do the same for others. And, and it sounds, I mean, you do that in everything you do and uh, appreciate you being willing to share today. So um, any final words, how would you like to close today's uh, interview? Gosh, I just want to thank you, Tim, for selecting me. I know you have a choice of people internationally, uh, you know, all the things that you do. Uh, I'm, 
I'm, I'm so glad to get a chance to spend some time with you. Uh, and I hope that there's someone out there that uh, has listened that um, can find some encouragement or some supports that they need to be able to do what they want to do. I, I mean, I want everyone, you know, to be happy. I, I look at my three guys and I think happy, healthy, and included. And if they're doing those three things, then we should be in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, for our, our Irish listeners, uh, Debbie's made uh, like she's a mulligan. So yes, tell us right. a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, my um, my maiden name is Mulligan. I'm 100% Irish. My great grandparents are from County Kerry and County Cork. Uh, if there's some great Irishmen out there listening, I'd love to visit your country sometime. Tim, I got uh, I want to go over there and visit Mary Davis, my friend. Uh, that's the CEO for Special Olympics. Play some golf, and well, I would love to to come over there and do a basketball clinic sometime. Because uh, I know um, that uh, I, pro I, could, I think I could help some young women love, fall in love with the game of hoops. Yeah, I don't doubt that for a second. And that's something we can definitely talk about. And uh, I know that you bring great value to the game there. And uh, hey, it's the greatest country I've ever visited. And it's the most beautiful, not to mention the people are even more beautiful than the country. So, um, well, Debbie, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day and, and sharing with us. and. Um, you know, we appreciate what you're doing and I'll make sure to share in the show notes, the link for your, uh, 24 hour, uh, you know, special Olympics shooting challenge, um, fundraiser. And if anybody wants to go donate, please find the, the link. I was just looking at it myself just a second ago. We'll make sure that we share it. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you to all the listeners for taking time to listen and, uh, Look forward to another time when I get to be on your podcast. Well, thank you so much. All right, everybody. We look forward to seeing you next Monday. We appreciate you taking time to listen today. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. And until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible.